0: Last year, I was with two of my buddies and we went up to Sheboygan, Wisconsin. They call themselves the Malibu of the Midwest. It's super funny. Sheboygan, Wisconsin, who would have thought, right? It was the coldest I've ever been in my life. But I paddled out and I was like shivering, trying to catch like a wave. I was like paddling with the wave and trying to stand up and like it was, I was failing every time. So I was like, I hate this. I went in my car to warm up for like 20 minutes because I was so cold. Finally, like I saw my buddies, like just like doing it. They were killing it. They were smiling, laughing. And I was like, oh. I need to catch at least one wave.
1: Sometimes it can be hard to stay in the moment in life. You're always stressed out about the next thing. You want happiness and success and fulfillment, but what does that even mean and how do you go about getting it? Hi, my name's Caroline White. I'm a senior journalism major at Marquette University. You're listening to Practicing Growth, a podcast exploring some of the universal mental battles we all face at different points throughout our lives. Each episode of this three-part series will focus on a different struggle. We'll break it down, try to understand it, then we'll learn coping strategies to control and minimize those barriers that are standing between us and our way forward. In this final episode, we're exploring fulfillment and happiness. In my estimation, humans have been trying to find the key to happiness for as long as we've existed on this planet. Philosophers have done a lot of heavy lifting on this topic, and I'm not trying to outthink Plato or Socrates here, but first we need to clarify what happiness is. For help on this, I called Dr. Curtis Carter. Dr. Carter is a philosophy professor at Marquette who has published books on the philosophy of aesthetics and given lectures all over the world.
2: What is what good is happiness for people? What does what does what good good does happiness uh, bring to to people's lives? What are the sources of happiness? Some people today um, might think that making a million dollars or becoming a millionaire is uh, is the ideal of happiness, um, and of course uh, the, it's not realized that that millionaire millions uh, has a lot of uh, roads along the way which cannot be all
1: happiness something that's important to understand is the way philosophers wrote about happiness and the way we often think about happiness today are a little different today when we say we're happy it's a feeling or a state of mind maybe we say we're happy because we got a good grade back on a test or because the weather is nice but philosophers were referring to put very simply is fulfillment or satisfaction of the human experience. So take note of that. When Dr. Carter refers to happiness, he's using the term like the philosophers did. Dr. Carter brought up two popular schools of thought from philosophers. The first theory is that fulfillment stems from experiencing pleasure, satisfying our desires and minimizing pain. This is obviously highly subjective and variable depending on the person. To represent this school, Dr. Carter drew upon the writings of John Stuart Mill.
2: Mill's view is more on the satisfaction of life and building a satisfactory life. And uh, that means avoiding as many uh, disruptions, uh, avoiding uh, conflict, avoiding pain.
1: The second school of thought comes from the fourth century Greek philosopher Aristotle. Aristotle wrote about fulfillment as if it were objective. He wrote that pleasure is not the key to fulfillment, rather values like expanding your mind and doing the right thing are.
2: The happiness that he talked about was not, of course, simply material acquisitions or how much money you can make or how many friends you can have, but I would say the dominant force in his was more of an intellectual pleasure. How we should uh, orient our lives toward... Uh, fulfilling uh, important uh, philosophical values.
1: There's a reason we still refer to these philosophers' writings today. They were brilliant thinkers with deep and complex understandings of human nature. But for students trying to figure out how to live and work in the 21st century, it's hard to know how to apply these philosophies to our lives. Emily Esfahani smith is an author who wrote a book called The Power of Meaning. She gave a TED Talk back in 2017 called there is more to life than being happy, in which she discusses her positive psychology research. Esfahani Smith spent five years interviewing hundreds of people and reading through psychology, neuroscience, and philosophy studies in search of an answer to the question, how can we live a more fulfilling life? Essentially what she found is that the key is not to seek out happiness in the short term, emotional way that we think of it today. It's to seek out meaning, in all of her interviews and studies, she found that the people who live the most meaningful lives shared four key pillars, but more on those later. My friend Joseph is the one who recommended Esfahani Smith's talk to me, and it came with pretty high praise.
0: It'll change your life, and if it didn't, then watch it again.
1: Joseph Miscamara is a senior at Marquette. He's majoring in environmental studies and data science. He's involved in a bunch of different community service and environmental advocacy clubs. He's also the guy you heard talking about lake surfing at the beginning of this episode. He stumbled upon Esfahani Smith's TED Talk while he was eating a midnight snack in our dorm's dining hall freshman year, and he said it totally changed the way he views his life.
0: My goal for my own career is not necessarily to make tons of money. Career goals are more focused on, like, how fulfilling, like, my work is to me. And I think that, like, the ideal job for me is, like, making a difference, you know, in the world in some way.
1: It's one thing to think about life in the big picture, but it's another to live moment by moment. Joseph and I are both seniors in college. In a few months, we're graduating from Marquette and on to the next thing, maybe getting a job, going to grad school, and or moving to a new place. There's a lot of uncertainty about what's next, and it's scary.
0: Fears are primarily that nobody will hire me, which is pretty reasonable. I think that's, I mean, everybody's kind of scared of that. But like beyond that, I think something that's like minor is that I'm working in a job where I don't think I'm like doing anything like good. a lot of like my peers in this data science program, like end up like doing financial internships. I would hate that so much. Like I I can't do that because if you're just like maximizing profit for a company, um, I don't think that there's like a lot of fulfillment in that you're just like lining somebody's pockets with money.
1: These decisions are big, and I, for one, am feeling the weight of them. It sometimes feels like what I decide to do next will alter the trajectory of the rest of my life, and what if I choose wrong? I wanted to get the perspective of someone who's been in my shoes and made those life-altering decisions, so I called my dad. Dr. Greg White has been a physician for almost 25 years. When he was a teenager, he thought his career was headed in a totally different direction.
3: 18 and I got accepted and, and you know I always liked sci-fi and uh, I wanted to be an astronaut. A lot of jobs left the area and your grandpa's actually the one who said that uh, farmers and, uh, and doctors survive recessions and, and uh, depressions so I chose medicine over aerospace engineering. Who knows what had happened.
1: It's true that the decisions we make alter our lives in significant ways sometimes in ways we can never know. I wanted to know if my dad had any regrets about the decisions he'd made over the years.
3: Yeah, that's the thing. Would I change anything? Um, It would change who I am. I don't believe everything happens for a reason, but I believe uh, everything has has an impact. Everything does shape who you are, and bad experiences give you good experience.
1: Everything shapes you, even the parts of life that aren't happy or fun or exciting.
3: I remember being in a case once where it was a really bad accident. The person was really cut up and midnight or 1 a.m. and the other person in the car had been sent to the other hospital and they called me about that one. I was like almost at the end of my rope, like, hi,
1: I can't do this.
3: Um, and then you just kind of take a deep breath and you go and do it. And my mantra is always like every day ends.
1: If we can't go through life avoiding pain and discomfort, does that mean we'll never be happy? And if we're not happy, can we still be fulfilled?
3: I think, I think the struggle is what makes me happy even though I complained about it.
1: In true sci-fi nerd fashion, he used his favorite Star Trek episode to illustrate this point.
3: There's one that got on this planet, and they, these uh, uh, androids gave the humans everything they wanted, take care of them. You know, Kirk's like, that's not, humanity doesn't like that. Humanity needs to work for something. And they, and, they, and they broke the system, and they escaped the planet. I really love the act of eating that
0: chocolate cream pie, but when it's done, it's like, I'm not happy anymore.
1: Joseph said something pretty similar about the distinction between happiness and fulfillment.
0: Happiness comes and goes, and there's going to be times, like, when I find, you know, myself upset about, like, something in the news or, like, even something I see, like, you know, somebody littering or, like, (laughs) revving their engine a lot and, like, just emitting tons of gas. Those moments can be disheartening, but I, I think it fuels the fire inside of me, and it makes me, like, want to do more about it. So I think that's where the distinction between, like, happiness and fulfillment, like, comes. It's whether, like, your perception of the world... Um, changes your mood versus like whether it changes like what you want to do.
1: So if a bad day or semester or a year doesn't determine the rest of our lives, maybe we shouldn't build our lives around trying to achieve happiness. After all, we experience a wide range of emotions as human beings and we can't avoid any of them. Remember Emily Esfahani Smith's four pillars of meaning I was talking about earlier. The first one is belonging. Having relationships with genuine shared love and value and people you can call to talk things through with. Hey. Hello. Can you hear me? Yep. (laughs) All right. The second pillar is purpose. Using your strengths to help and serve others, not just your own wants.
0: The ideal job for me is like making a difference, you know, in the world in some way.
1: The third is storytelling being able to create a narrative out of the events of your life so you can learn lessons and share stories with others.
3: Everything does shape who you are and bad experiences give you good experience.
1: The fourth and final pillar is transcendence. Moments where you're lifted above your daily life and feel connected with the universe. Now let's go back to Joseph's surfing story.
0: I had this like, this uh, this attitude like I needed to catch one wave before I left, whether I die trying or not. So. Um, I kept paddling and um, eventually I did it. I stood up. One thing I love about surfing is that like when you're doing it and like you're like locked in, you're in the zone, you're not thinking about the past or, you know, the future. You're like only in the moment and that's the only thing that matters. Those 10 seconds of glory like felt pretty infinite. It's a really, really cool experience.
1: So we didn't uncover the one true key to ultimate lasting happiness today. If one of you figures it out, please call me. But until then, keep taking it moment by moment, day by day. It'll all be okay. Thanks for tuning in to this final episode of Practicing Growth. I hope you found this series helpful in some way.
0: Again, my name's
1: Caroline White. Bye for now.